Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. My guest today is Brian Weichman, co-founder of ZKP2P. ZKP2P is a trustless fiat-to-crypto P2P on-ramp powered by ZK Proofs. On this episode, Brian explains how ZKP2P leverages ZK Proofs to translate DKIM signatures in Venmo and HDFC transaction confirmation emails to unlock on-chain assets like ETH and USDC. ZKP2P lets depositors charge a fee, creating a financial incentive to draw liquidity into the protocol. It was great learning more about ZKP2P from Brian, as this is one of the most exciting and tangible applications of ZK that's live today. I hope you enjoy the show. As always, this show is provided as entertainment and does not constitute legal, financial, or tax advice or any form of endorsement or suggestion. Crypto has risks, and you alone are responsible for doing your research and making your own decisions. Brian, thanks so much for joining me on Web3 Galaxy Brain to talk about ZKP2P. Uh, how's it going today? Good, good. How you doing? I'm doing great. So ZKP2P is like a really exciting project that a lot of people, I mean, not everybody knows about it yet, but everybody who does is pretty excited. So what's the problem that ZKP2P is solving? We see this as kind of helping solve, you know, there's been this persistent kind of like off on and off ramp problem. The UX really is kind of sucks. <laughs> you usually have to go through some sort of centralized exchange or you have to, you know, pay some exorbitant fees to get money actually directly onto a blockchain. And some people are fine with kind of like the centralized exchange flow. I think like if you're an American or you're a Coinbase user, you actually pretty often find that that's a pretty annoying flow to take because, you know, you send money into your Coinbase account and then you have to wait five, six days for it to actually, you know, be movable on chain. So there's all these kind of like frictions with on ramp on and off ramping. And then obviously on top of that, there's kind of like, some of these other things around just the, even the, the pure ability to on-ramp, like having access to platforms that, that let you on-ramp. And so ZKP2P is really kind of inspired, like came from, was inspired by solving that problem, really. Like how can we create a, a like robust and indestructible uh, type of on-ramp? And so that's, yeah, that's kind of how we, we came, came here. And it's definitely inspired a bit by some of one of our team members' frustrations with things like Binance P2P as well, having to deal with like dispute resolution and things like that. Like there is like the, the dispute resolution is done by the code, right? So yeah, I guess I guess if you can solve this problem, the fiat on ramping uh, and off ramping too problem um, in a way that's secure and cryptographic, then it can be global and permissionless also. So you don't have like, as you mentioned, like there's maybe if you're in the States, it's not so difficult. But if you're in some part of the world that's served by uh, less reputable companies or with higher rates, it's uh, would be hugely advantageous. And it's maybe not something that's so visible on like English speaking, Western centric Twitter. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, ultimately, there's a lot of use for this beyond just like people wanting to get crypto on chains, so they can buy like their favorite token <laughs> or whatever, like, Hidden in some of this tech is potentially the ability to like really cheap, cheaply and efficiently remit across borders, right? Like think of how, you know, kind of uh, localized a lot of these payment networks are. So when I, you know, have Venmo, when I go to some foreign country, I can't really pay using my Venmo, right? Um, but essentially what we're able to do here is start kind of linking a lot of these payment networks together. So I could pay on Venmo and my friend could receive you know, their money. And you know, we, we just launched uh, 
UPI integration earlier this week, they could receive the money in their Indian bank account, right? Um, so there's like there's some things like that. There's also just people who want access to US dollars. And uh, instead of, you know, wanting to having to meet up with somebody to, to get US dollars or those sorts of things, you could, in theory, just use this. And you can trade your local currency for US dollars at we think pretty competitive rates. Yeah. So how did the project come together in the first place? Cause I know you got a pretty stacked team of uh, developers. Uh, how did you all come together? Yeah. So we've, we've actually worked together for a long time. So there's four of us, uh, all four of us worked together at a project called set protocol. Uh, it was like a index fund type uh, project on top of, on top of Ethereum um, built all sorts of like structured products last, last bull market. There's Alex. Uh, Alex was actually one of the founders of Set. I was I was the first employee in like June of 2018, and then Richard, who's also on our team, was the second employee uh, in like September or something of 2018. And then Sachin joined us in 2021, um, and so that that's kind of how the four of us all all came together. And uh, then yeah, I mean we all kind of sparked this mutual interest in the potential of zero knowledge proofs kind of around the beginning of 2023, uh, all of us kind of really started deep diving on it. Cause we just, I don't know, looking, looking into and learning about zero knowledge proofs was kind of, in my, in my opinion, one of those equivalent aha moments to kind of like Ethereum 2017 or something like that, right? You can start to see like all the things that are potentially achievable, zero knowledge proofs. Um, and so we, uh, we, we were kind of going to conferences and we came up for the idea with this at a, a Stark, was it Starkware Sessions in Tel Aviv? And then we actually hacked on it in uh, ZK Hack in Lisbon. And then from there, we just you know decided there's something here. We want to continue to pursue it. We were fortunate enough that the Ethereum Foundation and the Privacy and Scaling Exploration Group felt similarly. Uh, and so they you know, were kind of able to fund, give us a, a grant to, to fund some of the work for the uh, kind of last year and I think you know hopefully a little bit going forward as well and so yeah that's kind of how we how we found ourselves here um, was just really four guys hacking on something thinking like trying to build something interesting and yeah I mean I think, I think so far it's it's continued to be very fruitful and, and, and very fun so awesome so I want to get into like all the technical details of how it actually works but I think first just for people who haven't seen the site who aren't that familiar from a UX perspective if I'm a user I want to on-ramp into I guess USDC on ETH what would the most common path be maybe you could walk me through what do I have to do just as a regular user who doesn't really understand the deep internals of it yet to via ZKP2P. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, well, first of all, like we have one deploy right now, and that deploy is on base. So the the entire flow. So I'll, I'll take you know go all the way to if you want to get to mainnet if you want. Or no, let's do base. Let's, base is good. Let's do base. All right, sure. Uh, so so for base, it's uh, the first thing you need to do is is kind of we make you prove that you actually have. An account <laughs> with the the payment network that that you're trying to uh, on ramp with, right? So um, what you have to do is uh, go to our website, and when you register, you're actually submitting a prior email that you got from Venmo. And so when you submit that email, we're then able to generate a proof that says like, oh, okay, this is an email that was sent from Venmo. We were able to extract like your user ID, then we hash that, and then we essentially uh, 
submit, then you submit that on chain and that kind of creates your account is, is one way to think about it. And so now we've verified like, okay, this is a Venmo user. We can let them kind of do all the actions that are available to Venmo users in our system. And then what you need to do is you actually need to go and uh, escrow funds. So you uh, essentially write like store the hash of the user ID derived from the email that they submit? Yep, exactly. We know this is a hash of their Venmo ID because they've been running it through our zero knowledge circuits, which prove the computation and et cetera, et cetera. We, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, we'll get it. Yeah, we'll get to it. And then, so then next is, we're, we're essentially just kind of like a fancy escrow <laughs> agent almost, uh, but peer to peer, like, and I shouldn't even say we, right? Like it's just the smart contract. We don't, we don't do, we're not really doing anything in the middle there. The, um, so the user then goes and says like, I want to on-ramp hundred dollars, right? So you go and you, you submit a, uh, what we call uh, an intent to pay somebody off chain a hundred dollars. And so what that does is that locks that hundred dollars for you. So that if some user were to come directly after you and take that hundred dollars, you're not, you don't actually like send a hundred dollars to your counterparty and then the money's not there on chain, right? For you when, when you actually like want to unlock it. Um, and so then you go, you submit, once you've you know, signaled intent, you know, set those sums of funds aside for yourself. Then you send a transaction via Venmo or whichever payment network. Um, from there, you'll receive a confirmation email. Similar to registration, you then take that confirmation email, run it through one of our circuits that generates like a, a proof that you, you know, did the payment. We extract things like the amount, uh, the timestamp, obviously who you sent it to, to make sure you're sending it to the right person. And then you use that proof to unlock those funds that were set aside for you on chain. And so that's kind of the, the end to end. And then you would at that point have $100 on, on base or 100 USDC on base. Um, the, you know, right now, users have to kind of submit all those transactions themselves. So at the moment, you actually have to have ETH on chain. Well, in the next like seven to 10 days, depending on when we're able to find, completely nail it down, we're actually adding a completely like gasless and walletless flow. So you don't even, you don't have to have any ETH or anything in your account. Um, we can just get you directly on, on chain. And then with that, we can also start doing things like, uh, since it will be with 4337, 4337 wallet, we can then send a bridge transaction, for example. So you could on-ramp and bridge to Solana or wherever you want uh, within one transaction. Very cool. And just to finish up on the like complete user perspective on that, this developments that are coming in the next couple of weeks are the is the idea that this will be in its own app or it'll be a DAP that you connect to with an existing wallet? Yeah. So it's it's uh it's would be essentially in our in our current DAP. Yeah. So it, it's like a, a it's a new feature we'll be adding to the DAP to kind of make it uh, a lot more seamless and kind of really do that zero to one on ramping right. Right now, you kind of, like I said, you need to have funds on chain. Um, now we can do it where you don't have to ever have any funds, like any new crypto user in theory could come do this and immediately get money on chain or quickly get money on chain. Okay, very cool. So yeah, so let's dive into how it actually works in detail. I know there's a lot of interesting stuff going on under the hood. And I guess in the example that you just gave, we're also kind of assuming that there's already somebody who's put some ETH or USDC in escrow on the other side of the transaction right. that's waiting for the Venmo to come in. Right. So 
Um, I mean, one thing that maybe do you want to, is there a way that you like to run through it chronologically or should I just ask questions? Uh, I know like, uh, domain key identified. Yeah. Yeah, So like DKIM, like uh, domain key identified mail is an important ingredient in being able to, I guess, know for sure that someone has the account that they claim. How does it work? What are DKIM signatures and how do they play a role in this? Yeah. So DKIM signatures are like the way you think about them is it's it's the signature over an email that lets like your uh, email client know that you know it's a it's coming from a valid source. <laughs> so there's a, a registry of all the uh, DKIM identifiers or or um, public keys, and you can always check your email against that registry to make sure it's coming from the the server that it says it does. Right. So that would be like Venmo.com. Right, exactly. So for Venmo, it's, it's just Venmo.com. And so this is, yeah, obviously a, kind of there as like an anti-fraud type protection thing as well. Um, but we are able to leverage, I mean, zero knowledge proofs can essentially leverage any signed data. Uh, signature is essentially an attestation that something's true. So in this case, Venmo is attesting that uh, the email came from their server and obviously, there's information in that email that they're also attesting to. So basically, we're relying on Venmo's attestation to the existence of the account. Um, what information matters from the email? It's just the account name or something else? No, I mean, well, so I guess it depends on the action. So if you're registering, we are mainly just pulling out the... Uh, I mean, we're pulling out a couple things. We're, we, we obviously need to pull out like... The, the public key from that from that email so that we can mat, make sure it matches kind of the expectation but the main like data point we're pulling out is that is the hash of that user ID so that's for registration but then for um, kind of the on-ramp portion there we need a, a bit more information right <laughs> to make sure that you're not like you know reusing an email or or, or doing not even or potentially like sending funds to a friend, but saying it's, you know, it was legit, you know, so you sent it to the right counterparty whatnot. So that's where we need to check like who you sent it to, the amount that you sent. We also like nullify all emails. So if you, you can't like reuse an email over again. So those, those are the, the kind of things that we're, we're pulling out on, on the send. And we use like a regex, uh, type thing to do that. So essentially you use something like Venmo or uh, the Indian bank that you're working with or any potential other service, you trust that their DKIM signatures and that the emails that they're sending out to users are accurate. But how is it possible that you know that a user is not bringing an email like a email belonging to a different user that's not them? How are you able to confirm that they are the account holder and not not just that they have access to a single email from Venmo, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, one of those nuances of this is it's proving that you have access to an email <laughs> that you have, you know. So in this case, yeah, there there is a certain amount of like, like your, your, you have to, you know, your email is essentially kind of, um, critical point of infrastructure in this in this whole thing right so yeah if if your email were to get to get hacked um potentially someone could pose as you i think like the most they could really do is register under your name certainly they wouldn't be able to like execute any demo transactions on your behalf right if they were really benevolent they'd register under your name and 
deposit money uh, to be off ramped and then people just will send you money for free. But <laughs> I feel that, that wouldn't be what happened. <laughs> so when w- once I'm registered with an email from Venmo, for example, the are are subsequent emails are required to confirm that i've made transactions like is is venmo sending an email for every single like for example sending uh fiat to another p2p participant that email also is uh used in the computations yeah so there's registrations a one-time thing and that's we can kind of take any old you know any old email uh and be like okay we're using this to just validate that you have an account but then like for any subsequent transaction, so any on-ramping transaction, we do need an email to say to like a confirmation email to know that you completed the transaction off chain in order for you to get the funds on chain. So for every like on-ramping transaction, you will need to provide the confirmation email of that transaction. Got it. So Venmo becomes kind of like it almost feels like a centralized signer that we agree to believe in, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, you know, if you really want to kind of put crypto terminology on it, it's like a another L2 or L3, and we're just validating the state of that L2 or L3, right? Now, you know, obviously, we don't have direct access to their, their ledger. And so the way we, we validate that is, is via these emails. So yeah, we're kind of bridging the, uh, the Web2 side chain to, uh, to Web3. <laughs> so, uh, so once I've registered, I guess there's two actions I could be interested in, either on-ramping or off-ramping. Yep. And so what's the next step? So once I'm registered, where do I go from there? Maybe where, where does ZK Snarks come into the picture? Yeah, so as far as like, well, I'll touch on off-ramping real quickly because that is like one side of the component that the, the, the system I haven't really talked about that much. Um, so off-rampers are essentially passive participants in the way our, our system designs. So you are depositing funds and it's these on-rampers that are coming and escrowing those funds, uh, submitting, like sending a transaction off-chain and unlocking those funds for themselves, right? So the depositor, all they, they're really doing is they're just depositing those funds into our smart contract. Uh, and then like over time, they'll get, you know, the, those funds will be like kind of passively off-ramp, right? Right. So I just, I register with my Venmo account. I put some USDC into the smart contracts and then over time, it's just being eaten up by people who are on-ramping and sending me Venmo transactions to compensate for the USDC they're taking. Exactly. And, you know, we definitely want to, you know, obviously on-ramp, our focus so far has been a lot more on this on-ramping um, side of things, but certainly we would love to also get like a fast off-ramp as well. Right now, like I said, it's like a passive passive activity we'd love to get it to a point where it's also that can also be fast obviously doing that then opens up interesting things with, with like merchants and, and things like that too potentially and is that just a benevolent activity at this point off ramping well no you so you can set your you can set a rate so right now i don't know what the current uh, liquidity looks like but you know you can set any people are setting anywhere from like 40 basis points to you know 1% essentially spread to, to facilitate on and off ramps. Yeah, so it, the way everything is set up is like, if you really wanted to off ramp, in theory, you could pay people to take your liquidity off chain, right? So instead of capturing 1%, maybe you pay 1%. And now there's somebody like, oh, cool, I get paid 1% to on ramp money, like, I'll do that, right? So this is, it is a, a fully kind of like open peer to peer market, like however, 
you know, whatever your direction or, or you know, the intensity of your interest to, to move one way or the other, you can, you can express that via the, the on and off ramp rates. And I guess the, there's like events that are emitted when you do the depositing that could be queried and like, essentially it's an on-chain order book for on and off ramping that could be, yeah. bots could be servicing. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You can easily build an order book. You know, there's certainly, I think at some point we would love to move more of that off chain, but at, at least for kind of the state we're in right now, uh, be, and, and because base is fairly cheap, um, it's, we're, we're okay kind of having that on chain, but yeah. Cool. Uh, so I asked this question about ZK Snarks, but really it's not a separate yeah. step. You need it even for the registration piece. You need the ZK Snarks, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. For people who don't know what ZK Snarks are, can you give like a high level on what they do, what capabilities they enable and who the parties are in a Snark? Yeah. So I like to think of ZK Snarks as, well, not I like to think of, I think people think of it as just like, it's the ability to prove any computation was run to like an exact specification, right? So you can take some like inputs, put it into this black box, get some outputs, but you know that like this black box of the ZK circuit, the the code that was expected to be run was run correctly. And then there has this like second property of being uh, very easy to verify. Right. So one way to think about it is you have a Z, ZK snarks are, are actually like kind of expensive to, to create computationally. Um, but you can think like you can have a supercomputer running all sorts of calculations for like a week, right? Uh, within a ZK snark. And then you can submit, you could submit the outputs of, of all those calculations to a smart contract on chain and it would be verified in like a second. So it has this property of like, very, you can do any sort of arbitrary logic and then verify it very, very quickly. Um, and so this is this is nice for us because it allows us to say like, hey, you sent us this email. We put it into the zero knowledge circuit. And in the zero knowledge circuit, we were able to, you know, validate the signature of the email. And then we were able to prove or we're able to like pull out different pieces of information from the email. And you know once from the output of that zero knowledge circuit that the code is run to specification, right? Because if somebody were to create a, a zero knowledge proof uh, using say like a, a fake email or something like that, or were to just try to yeah, submit a bunch of random numbers <laughs> to, to validate the proof, uh, it would air out and say like, oh, this, this is an invalid proof. This was not run over the, the circuit that um, the user is claiming it was running under. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So basically the burden is on the prover, like the party who's bringing the email or maybe actually, well, where does the computation actually happen for generating the snark? Yeah, so that, that computation that can, we actually offer two options. So you can generate these things in like locally in browser. So we do offer that. It is quite a bit slower uh, because these are like very computationally intense, intensive proofs to create. How slow are we talking? That's that'll be like ten to fifteen minutes. Um, whereas you can also optionally send it, uh, use our remote prover, and that's about like thirty to forty seconds to generate that proof. As a user, I, I suppose I'm putting trust in your infrastructure if I do that. Although you can verify yeah. that it was done correctly cheaply, so the client can verify still. Right, exactly. 
you you don't have to tr- you don't have to trust that we're running everything correctly because if we if we weren't <laughs> it would it, like the transaction when you went to submit it would, would revert right um there is obviously some trust around like okay you you are sending an email to to a remote server <laughs> um but yeah where there's no like we can't we can't scam you uh on that you know by generating the proofs because then it just like wouldn't validate on chain. Right. So the same mechanism that'll be used to ultimately validate the information can be used to verify that the like speed up in doing cloud compute instead of local compute is legitimate. So you can automate some things or do them in the cloud and it doesn't uh, introduce at least the client can have the same guarantees that the, their counterparty will ultimately have. Right. And that's, and that's like, that's the beauty and kind of like the promise of zero knowledge starts, right. Is, you know, right now they're computationally intensive, but as they get like, as A, our computation, computational abilities improve, but B, as like, there's a ton of money pouring into researching zero knowledge proofs. A lot of that because of some of the applic- the, the applications they have towards uh, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchains. Um, so we're seeing definitely uh, improvements in kind of the speed of some of these algorithms as well. And I think like over time, you'll start to see more and more of this stuff being able to be done locally on your computer. And and doing that now opens up like a whole different interesting kind of like privacy realm. <laughs> you know, instead of validating emails, let's say I validate, you know, my credit score. Well, I don't have to send all this information to somebody remotely that gets stored on, on a, a remote server and, or sorry, like a database and they're running all the calculations on a remote server. In theory, you can do it locally. And they can know, they know that you have uh, run the computations correctly. So now they can trust the output of their like credit score algorithm without ever needing your private data uh, in their hands, right? So that's kind of like really the big promise here is like provable computation. It opens over, up like a over whole unrevealed world from, like, data, right? Un- unrevealed, yeah. You can kind of keep all your data locally. Just send send the outputs. Uh, you know, to wherever you need to send them. And they can then quickly validate like, okay, yeah, this was run to our specification. It is a little mind bending to me still. I need to, maybe if you haven't yeah. played with it personally, it's hard to fully grasp how it's possible to be sure that, for example, uh, like the example you gave about credit scores, how can you know that the credit scores are accurate without having them revealed? But I, I suppose that is the nature of the technology. Yeah, it's, it is like, I don't know. I feel like when we were first getting into it, just... It's like moon math. Like if you ask me too much about the math, granted, I also don't write our circuits. I'm, I'm more on the smart contract side. Um, but the math is like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's all sorts of like abstract, uh, kind of abstract stuff going on there. That's a little, can get a little, little above my head at times. But yeah, it is, it's, it's pretty incredible technology. It's, you know, it's one of those things that kind of broadens the, really broadens what's available to us from like a decentralized stack, right? If you think of blockchains as kind of like a decentralized database and we started like hooking on all sorts of business logic to it, uh, which is like Ethereum, uh, all this like smart contract business logic. Well, in theory, you could remove all of a lot of that business logic, right? You could just make it basic, like, okay, here's how you like add, remove, like update state. And a lot of this more, you know, business or backend logic could live in zero knowledge circuits that you're then just like 
proving, you know, proving that you ran the code, as you said, um, to, to the blockchain just over time, right? Mm-hmm. Doing, doing just a lot less execution on chain and instead doing it off chain, just proving it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's why it's it's also seen as like a scaling technology, right? It's because now you're doing all of this computation off chain, and then just like very quickly and succinctly uh, proving it uh, on on chain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we talked about these two roles. There's like the prover who is able to prove to a verifier that a statement is true without revealing too much about uh, what what they. I guess the, the computation itself is known, but the data that was computed upon is not known. So how do in the, is that, is that more or less? Uh, I mean, there are some like public inputs that you, you do pass in. Uh, obviously those are, those inputs are things that should be like, you know, you're okay with pub, the public seeing. So not, there's like, there's public and private inputs in your circuit. It's not all necessarily private. Um, but the thing you, you would design the circuit in such a way that like the sensitive information is is inputted you know as, as like a private input like for example the email uh we're, we're not having you like post the entire email on chain to validate you know like that that is a private input to our circuits uh but there's like certain like the you would may pass in the your like the hash of your venmo id that you would pass in though as like a public circuit or as a as a public input right because then you're like the the code you know, executes, it like pulls out whatever the 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 Venmo hash is, and I can see like okay, they do match. It does make sense. You mentioned also that regex is used in the process. How does that fit in? Yeah, so if you think of what like a, a raw email is, so it's it's just essentially a big HTML <laughs> uh, file. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're we've identified certain parts within the email. Uh, that hold that valuable information. And then we're going and looking for those parts and just uh, removing it or not removing it, but but grabbing it via regex. Okay, so simple, simple thing, but trustworthy once you know that the DKIM is correct. Right, and there's like, certainly writing uh, zero-knowledge circuits is not easy at this point. Like there's, yeah, I mean, the 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 language is is a lot of the languages are pretty difficult especially you know we use circom way to think about circom is it's like literally wiring circuits like gates together <laughs> in, in a circuit so it's it's not necessarily like the most intuitive language to do but at the same time we aren't doing anything that is like wild you know we're validating signatures and doing a regex uh, and maybe for now that's really kind of pushes the, the bounds of what can really be done with ZK because all these things that you, you you do, all these different functions that you're running in your circuit increase the cost of computing the circuit, right? So if you start doing way too much stuff, uh, it may take two minutes, three minutes to, to do the proof remotely. And then that kind of is a breakdown in the, in the user experience, right? So at this point, there isn't, because of some of the, the computational complexities, you know, we, we can't really do it like a ton, um, but, you know, we can still do a lot with just some of these basic building blocks like regex and, and signature uh, validation. And also it's like uh, an application that's here and now it's, it's live, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sh- there's definitely been some like zero knowledge uh, apps before us. I think I'm, I'm optimistic that we can be kind of like one of the, the first mainstream ones um that's certainly our goal we think that like this is 
this is a problem built to uh, to be solved by ZK, and um, and it's a problem that a lot of people you know kind of have in in the the cryptocurrency space. It's just getting money on chain, and so we think our kind of like unique solution to ZK provides a an interesting opportunity to kind of be one of those first like DApps really, because most most of the usage in in the space to this point has been focused on L2s and scaling and and things like that. There, this isn't to you know. There's definitely been a lot of great work done, um, kind of trying to play with things like privacy and, and stuff like that. Um, but I'm certainly optimistic. We'll we can kind of be the first one to to break through and you know have have a lot of people really using zero knowledge proofs. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's super practical. So um, I know in some of the tech talks that you, that uh, the team has given, um, you, you discussed uh, Halo versus Circom. I, maybe that's not your area of expertise, but I don't know if there's any insight you can give into why you ended up going with Circom. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of uh, the the decision around Circom was. Uh, I think most of that was driven by some of our dependencies. So I definitely want to give a, a shout out to the ZK email team. So this is another team within the privacy and scaling, privacy scaling explorations group uh, at, a, at the Ethereum Foundation. So we're built on top of kind of their SDK, which is uh, a general SDK for, for parsing emails in a, in a zero knowledge friendly manner. Right. And what what was their reasoning for doing that as the as a fundamental SDK? What was the project like? What does their email product provide? Yeah. So they're very much more looking at as like kind of an infrastructure piece. Um, they have done some stuff with with like a, a email wallet too, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but I think their approach has definitely been more on like the how do we make emails like. Because it's it's one of the most common pieces of signed data, right? Every email you receive is signed, and if you look at zero knowledge proofs as a way to take signed Web two data uh, and be able to trustlessly bring it on chain, like that's actually a huge potential primitive available. Another, I mean, another example of primitive too is actually like TLS um, TLS encryption. Um, that's essentially how you know, your website talk or your, your browser talks to to uh, a remote server. And if we can, you know, potentially be able to like validate those sorts of interactions as well, that actually opens up a lot of the uh, design space too. So there's all these kind of like signed primitives um, that we can potentially, you know, use in in facilitating on ramps or you know and beyond our our products that people broadly will be able to use um, within you know the crypto crypto ecosystem and even just data you know kind of web two <laughs> so there's this is a tech that will not does not discriminate I think it'll, it'll have huge impacts on the web two and web three. Yeah, it's cool to think about the. I mean, you've come up with a very smart application for using the email verification to sort of bring some of the web two identity stuff on chain without requiring a separate KYC step. You just mm -hmm. run with whatever Venmo believes is good enough. Uh, and if yeah. the counterparties believe in it, then it's, then it's fine. I guess is there, what, what, what do you imagine TLS could be used for? What are some hypothetical applications of that? I mean, I think the, the, the main thing that is, it's just like 
access <laughs> more than anything else. Um, right now, like, you know, we've spent a lot of time trying to integrate other uh, payment providers. Um, not everybody, like emails are very inconsistent, right? Uh, some, some payment providers will send you a confirmation email, but they really don't have much information in there or, you know, that we can actually use. Like there's been multiple providers we've wanted to integrate and they just got, they don't have a data data rich enough email to make it feasible for us to safely do it right like maybe it's missing a critical component like the id of your counterparty or, or something like that then it's like well if we don't have that idea of your counterparty we can't know that you weren't just sending it to your buddy and now like he's going to send you the money back and now you've doubled up your funds or whatever right and so uh, TLS gives us something that's probably a little bit more, uh, a little bit more standardized, and also is just another tool in the tool belt, right? So instead of relying on the the um, payment provider to be providing like data-rich confirmation emails, it's like, oh well, there's going to be a bunch of data being sent back and forth um, from you know the browser and, and their server, and so we can kind of help. You know, we, we can sit there and, and validate and, and verify some of that data and use that as a way to to facilitate on-ramp transactions. Mm-hmm. And on the Halo versus Circom stuff, I don't know if we rounded that out, but wh- why was it that you ended up choosing Circom? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a lot of it was kind of this uh, dependency. Uh, oh, from the email had, you know, mm-hmm. the, right. The, like there's their Circom library was the one that was just the most... Yeah, that, that, that was one that was ready. Uh, I will say, though, like we are looking into we would love to at some point uh, use Halo, uh, Halo 2. I know what Axiom just released, uh, I believe, a universal verifier for Halo 2, um, which is great. You know, one one of the kind of pains with using uh, CIRCOM is we have to do a trusted setup ceremony for every every circuit that we create. Halo 2 would not require that. And that's be based because of kind of like the different ZK backends that are being used there. Some of them require trusted setups per circuit and others of them, you run one trusted setup for this like global verifier, which is what um, Axiom launched. And all, all circuits can then be verified against that, that kind of like global verifier. Um, so yeah, I, I think... Over the long term, we'll, we'll definitely, I believe, trend towards Halo 2. Um, operationally, it just makes a bit more sense for us. Um, but for the moment, kind of the, the packages that were available to us uh, made sense to, to stick with CIRCOM. And it's also like, I think internally, we felt a little bit more comfortable with CIRCOM 2, um, just because that's kind of what we all started <laughs> writing some circuits with. Um, I know Richard and Sachin, who are our two kind of circuits guys, uh, have gotten pretty familiar and pretty comfortable with Halo 2 as well. But yeah, that, that's kind of a, a lot of it. There's There wasn't any like necessarily, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we think one is better than the other. It was, it was definitely driven more by kind of what was available to us at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a great talk at the ZK Summit number ten, I think, uh, that I'll link in the show notes so people can check out where uh, your teammates give more more details on the comparisons and stuff. Yeah. Um, so once the proof is generated by either the client itself or the ZK P2P infrastructure in the cloud that the client can verify, it's conveyed on chain in the deposit or 
uh, request transaction or how, how does it work? Yeah, what, what gets stored on chain? Yeah, so basically you've registered, right? Now you've signaled your intent. So you've kind of said like, okay, for the next X amount of time, this money is escrowed for me, right? And then you send the payment off chain, you generate the proof, and then this is when you call what we call on-ramp, appropriately named. Uh, and you just submit your the the proof. We extract, you know, the proof is going to output kind of all the different pieces of data that we need. Uh, and then we validate that, you know, you've sent it to the right person, the right amount, all those sorts of things. And, and then that's how the, the funds are unlocked for you. So that, that proof is essentially, you know, <laughs> if you were to look at it, it's just, it's kind of just gibberish. <laughs> um, it's a bunch of, it's like, like, four arrays of random numbers and hashes, but it outputs and, and it does it does mean something. <laughs> they're not actually uh, random. <laughs> but they're not they're not actually random as even though may, I guess that's kind of the whole point, right? It's, it's <laughs> they're just hard, hard to you, decipher. If it wasn't random, then you could probably you know So it, in some way the is is it fair to think that the ZK snark element here is allowing you to do DKIM verification, signature verification uh, on chain in a way that's gas efficient and also protects the privacy of not having the users expose the emails that they're sending or receiving or, or even their Venmo account names. Like you get both the privacy piece and you're able to do that signature verification, which at least from reading your docs, it seemed like DKIM signature verification in solidity would probably not be feasible. But via the ZK route, it is something you can, it's, it's tractable for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's another great point, actually, is that not all like signature verification and, and you know, hashing, hashing functions and, and signature verification, not all that is, is equal. Right. So there's certain curves that Ethereum works really nicely with, but there's a whole host of kind of like cryptographic or yeah, like signature schemes and hashing schemes that Ethereum doesn't work very well with. <laughs> They're just not available as opcodes or precompiles, I guess, essentially. Yeah, exactly. There's there's no precompile. So you actually would have to go in there and implement, you know, in Solidity, the signature verification, which would be very gas intensive because you'd be doing a, a ton of math, right? Um, and so we're able to do all that computation off chain and then submit the proof like, hey, this signature type that you can't verify very well we'll do it. Uh, but there's there's also interesting kind of like, honestly, one of the bigger issues is more uh, like the hashing functions that are used for, um, yeah, for kind of creating the, the digest, right? Uh, that, that's, that ends up getting signed. There's some hashing functions that are, you know, optimized for ZK. And then there's other hashing functions that are maybe more optimized. You know, Ethereum is is more favorable for you know kind of other other types of hashing functions, right? Um, and so um, that's another kind of like intricacy. And then if you do like multi-party computation, there's other hashing and signature schemes that are more be like better suited for multi-party computation versus zero-knowledge proofs. So there's kind of all these other little Kind of intricacies that you need to, to tie together too. And what is it that you're able to verify so conveniently of these? Like, how are you able to do it in a gas efficient way in the EVM? What is the verification technique you're using? Yeah, so I mean, so basically 
when you write a zero like a, a circuit, you can also there, there's like a, a verifier that's that's generated based off of that circuit, and that verifier is we we kind of just deploy that on chain, and any any proof that gets uh, that's sent on chain, we just check against that verifier, right? I don't know if that so, so it's unique to, to the so basically you guys write some circuits that do the verification that's required for your very specific application you can sort of yeah. compile that into something that you can write a contract that you can put on chain and then that contract yep. can be accessed every time you want to verify a signature of this data type uh, for this kind of snark uh, and so you don't need to redeploy it for every single transaction you can just reuse it and it's it sounds like it's right. somewhat gas efficient to do that verification too or it's feasible yeah I mean, let's it's gas efficient relative to having to do that like the computation that the circuit is doing on chain right so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it's still going to be like a couple hundred k of gas but it's maybe you know if you had to do the signature verification in solidity on chain, maybe that's a couple million of gas, right? Sure. Um, so it's a couple hundred K. That's not bad. This kind of what's that? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like 300 K, I think. Especially on base, it's pretty cheap. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, that again gets to kind of the other use, the other usage that people talk about with zk beyond privacy is kind of like this like compression or scalability idea. It's like you can do all this computation off chain and very cheaply validate it on chain you basically, you basically can you know ethereum is kind of like the world's slowest computer and you can validate the uh the outputs of the world's strongest computers uh, very very quickly on the world's slowest computer mm -hmm. and i guess that also lets you get access to all of these different hashing algorithms and signature schemes if you can just prove them with zk then you go that route rather than trying to lobby the eip process to incorporate precompiles for every type of signature scheme this just can be a, a solution for all of them i guess in the current specification though it requires that you deploy a contract for each unique scheme that you would like to verify well again again that's dependent on um the the back end you're using for your for your zero knowledge curve. So you're saying well, halo 2 might might allow for a, a global solution yeah like we we wouldn't have to do a, a a uh, trusted setup ceremony for for every every circuit that we write. Um, you know, yeah, we can just write the circuit uh, and and be able to submit those uh, the out the proofs generated by those circuits to that kind of global verifier. So global verifier means really you wouldn't need to deploy a unique smart contract at all. You would just have your sort of escrow contract that would call out to this global verifier. So it right. it's almost like. Um, in the EIP seven two one two stuff with the SCCP two five six R one curve, the P two five six verifier people are using for verifying pass keys. Like there, there is a single mm -hmm. contract that can verify all of those. So a global verifier for Halo two would maybe act in the same way, but also give you the access to all these other signature schemes that could be proved and verified through that contract. Yeah, I think um, the yeah the other signature schemes. What's interesting about that too is like it's not necessarily a free lunch either. Like there, like I was saying, there's some signature schemes that are better suited for uh, zero knowledge proofs versus you know signature and, and hashing schemes, right? So ultimately, like it may all look the same on chain, um, but there there may be like costs to bear in terms of the computation time and, and complexity off chain, right? So it's not like a completely free lunch. But it is 
certainly from like the the cost of uh, transacting on chain standpoint. It's it's yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and shifting the burden away from needing to update the EVM spec to support all kinds of custom things. Right. Right. What's a what's a nullifier? You mentioned them before. What are, what are nullifiers? Yeah, nullifiers are basically just we essentially in our use case more broadly it's it's basically a way to say like okay this piece of data we've seen it before uh, and and so you should kind of like a nonce. Yeah, like somewhat somewhat like a nonce. Um, for our use case, we're just hashing emails because that hash should never change and storing those on chain. So then like anytime, a mapping. exactly in a mapping. So anytime somebody comes and um, submits a proof, that proof is actually out also outputting a hash of the of the email. And so then in our smart contracts, we'll check to make sure that, that hash hasn't previously been used. Um, so yeah, it, it's basically a way to like nullify the data and say like, okay, this is no longer no longer valid or, or and that's primarily for regi- like double registration or also for double withdrawals uh it's mainly for the like we actually allow anybody you can you can re-register from multiple accounts if you want so you don't have to it's not like one ethereum address one venmo account it is actually n ethereum addresses one venmo account um so we're not as concerned about that uh, it is more that kind of like almost like a double spending, right? <laughs> You're, you know, if we go back to that, you know, Venmo is an L2 or L3 example. You're basically saying like, oh, hey, I, you know, trying to reuse the same transaction. I've collected on this already. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are the trust assumptions and the risks associated with uh, with using ZKP2P under the current design? Yeah. I mean, um uh, Certainly, like from a risk, well, I guess I can start with like there's always risks in things like the uh, and this is this wouldn't necessarily be like a, a loss of funds risk, but it's more of like a you know if Venmo or HDFC, who's the our UPI bank, if they were to change like email templates, so changing email templates could like invalidate. Uh, payments you've made off chain. So then we'd have to like rewrite the circuits, redeploy them, and then you can validate that payment, right? Um, Good thing banks don't change uh, the software that much, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the bigger thing is really kind of those DKIM key rotations. That And that also points to certainly one of kind of like the trust assumptions here is right now we're maintaining what that DKIM key is. Um, it's, you know, behind multi-sig obviously, but there is like some sort of trust that we're putting the correct, um, you know, public key on chain. I think we, that's one of the, like the main things we're trying to kind of move away from. Um, and we have some ideas around, you know, doing that. And some of it's just like, uh, there's like simple solutions like, okay, well, if you deposit money or if you're the off ramp you just define the domain key that is valid, right? And then, you know, it's more, then it becomes more of like a UI problem. It's like, okay, is this, you know, what's the domain key that we know? Is this a valid domain key? And then it's more of like an informational problem versus kind of like us actually having to potentially maintain that, uh, that domain key on chain. Um, Cause that's like a very different, uh, it's just a different trust assumption there that you have kind of like in us. Um, so we definitely want to move away from that. 
if if ever the keys were rotated, you the off rampers would could maybe submit some new updated data to the contract without having to remove all of their deposits or how, yeah what like let's say the let's say the emails were to change in some way um yeah. what would have to happen with the usdc let's say that's already in the contracts and if people are i guess if you have like a transaction in flight already from venmo to somebody and you're going to make a proof about it and then the keys rotate that could be a problem for you too right yeah so there is definitely that so well I'll start with like depositors people who have deposited their funds into uh, the smart to onto the smart contract to off ramp, they wouldn't have to do anything right now. Actually, like <laughs> the way the things are designed is that's like incredibly passive. They wouldn't have to do anything in the way and because we're kind of you know at the moment maintaining that that domain key. You are right. Like if you know the our first user that gets sent uh, an email with a new email template they may get stuck in the situation where it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, I can't I can't validate this this payment anymore. Right. And this is where, you know, I mentioned like TLS earlier. Like this is where things like that are a little bit more like reliable. There's also potential other things we could do around like, you know, like a regex virtual machine or something like that potentially. Although that 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 would just reduce the, the turnaround time for the circuit. It wouldn't necessarily you know, it wouldn't solve solve the problem if, if the, the template changes. Um, so yeah, anyway, a little bit of a, <laughs> a ramble there, but yeah, that is definitely one of the, 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 the risks is this email template changes when you send the transaction. Now you get the new email and it doesn't validate against our, our verifiers. Got it. I'm trying to think any other, yeah. Those, there, those are some of the, the main Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, if people want to see the whole the full list, uh, then there's a docs page on it. We've tried to be very like upfront with those sorts of things. Like this is this is new tech. Like uh, we're, we're not we're not trying to hide anything. Uh, we can't hide anything ultimately. Like it's all open source code. Um, and so, if definitely encourage people to like take a look at at some of the the risks. Yeah, the docs are great, and the and the website's very forthcoming with all the risks uh, as well. Thanks. Yeah, that's definitely was our intention. Um, but yeah, you know, these are this is like a living and breathing project, right? So things will will continue to kind of work on some of these things over time to kind of decentralize and and remove some of these trust uh, kind of current trust assumptions. Um, why did you decide to partner with uh, HDFC, this uh, Indian bank, uh, for the UPI transactions? Maybe for context, like what is UPI and and why is this bank relevant for what you're doing? Yeah, so UPI is kind of India's uh, kind of nationwide payment rails. It's actually uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> the, it's basically like every Indian citizen has um, like a UPI ID, and you can easily send money to anybody via the, via these rails, uh, anybody or any like merchant that sort of thing. So I think it's just essentially very efficient. Uh, version of kind of like web two you know, financial plumbing, WeChat or something, um, Alipay. Yeah, well, this is even like I would say even like a level below below that, right? Is it's like we WeChat or Alipay maybe built on top of something like like this. Um, this is like the the yeah the 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 true plumbing that can then support other like fintech apps and, and things like that. So as far as the HDFC integration, I think. 
you know, Sachin, one of our team members, actually you know, lives in India. Uh, so he would know a little bit more about, about it. But HDSC is just one of the bigger banks, essentially. And bigger banks and, you know, have the information that we need in their emails to be able to, to uh, you know, do the proofs mm-hmm. and, you know, reliably be able to facilitate the, the on-ramping transactions without there being any potential fraud or anything like that. So, um, yeah, that, that was really the, the, the main criteria is, one, what do we think most people are using? And two, is the data available in the emails to be able to, to do it? And I guess you don't need to really partner with them as long as those, especially the email data is available. It's sort of permissionless from your perspective. Right. And you get to tap right. into UPI. Yeah. yeah. And in some ways, yeah, it's kind of like this, this is how in theory, like we could become this kind of connector between all these different, you know, localities um, trying to really bring people that are on their local payment networks more close to kind of the global ecosystem as well, right? Uh, right now, that is, like I was saying, it's like incredibly segregated. Pretty much every country has their own payment networks. There's like some that are kind of, there's some companies that are transnational, but even within those companies, the payment networks are still kind of like, you know, walled off from, from the other countries. Just because, you know, obviously every country wants to have its own control over its own like financial system. <laughs> um, but so we're, yeah, we're kind of a way to just like link all these things together. So does this allow you to, like, can you do swaps? Could I go from a fiat on-ramping with uh, HDFC UPI transaction and have someone receive USD in their Venmo directly? We don't have that built yet, but yes. Uh, that is actually... I think a subset of the team, I wasn't able to, to be there. Um, uh, one of the hackathons, I think it was in Paris, uh, they actually built a prototype for this. So the ability to, to go from like, to pay somebody on Venmo and have somebody receive money in their like WISE account, or, or cool. it could be HDFC or uh, any of these other things for, for payment networks that we're looking at. Do you know how, in those constructions, how are you able to know what the um, the exchange rate is between the two currencies? Uh, so those would all still just be set by the the on-rampers and off-rampers and their, and their specific kind of... like Their intents, I guess. Yeah, well, what I'm trying to say is because we have like different deploys for each payment network. And so on the Venmo side, you'd be doing like USD to USDC like swap, right? And then when you go, let's say you're doing to UPI, then you'd be doing a USDC to uh, rupee swap. And so on the, you know, kind of the Venmo side of things, you're essentially doing a one-to-one transaction, obviously with some sort of a spread. And then on the other one, people uh, on, the, on the kind of like UPI side, people would be maintaining kind of some sort of, you know, price based on the price of rupee to, to US dollar. So basically when you are making your orders, there are essentially limit orders where you say what you're willing to pay or be paid exactly. and in that way. Yeah. You don't need an Oracle for establishing the price. It's just whether it's within their tolerance or not. Right. And, you know, obviously there's things we can, you know, as we look to make some improvements to the protocol, there's things that we can potentially do to, uh, make that pricing more efficient like right now because you know because it's not tied to an oracle for example like like you said it's a limit order um and so if you know for whatever reason currencies move really fast okay you may get 
your limit order may get like picked off, right? Uh, other there could, but there could be other constructions that depositors or, or offer ampers could buy into, right? So you could, in theory, use an oracle and just have and they would define like, okay, give me fifty basis points, you know, above the oracle price, and that's where I'll sit, right? Something like that. Or you know, one thing that we would love to do is ultimately move this to kind of like an off-chain type of order book, so then anybody can you know update their uh, their conversion price at any time. Essentially, by invalidating a prior order and sending a new one, it'd be similar to Xerox. Like if you're if you're familiar with with how Xerox works, where yeah, yeah, there's kind of these off-chain messages. If you want to cancel, if you want to invalidate it, there's either like a time period after which it, it expires, or if like you want to invalidate it beforehand, yeah, you have to submit the cancel order on chain. I'm not super deep on it, but have you thought about like Uniswap X also has this kind of like natural incentivization with the uh, declining price over time that encourages people to take the offers faster? Uh, interesting. Yeah. Kind of like um, it's almost like an auction of sorts. I, I'm actually not super familiar with, with Uniswap X uh, either. It essentially, from what I understand, at least it incentivizes you to take the limit order sooner uh, by yeah. having a declining uh, price at which you can uh, take the order over time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all like, these are all just different pricing strategies. Like if you were to kind of like write out uh, a feature list, one of those buckets of, of features may be something like, okay, well, how do we allow depositors to uh, specify like their off-ramp price? Um, and so right now, yeah, I mean, you can basically think of what we have is an auction, but with a flat flat curve, right? The price isn't moving. But yeah, we could also set up all these, whatever pricing strategy, like if people are feeling like they're going to be increasingly more, have like an increasing need to get their money off ramped, then yeah, you could have the type of price curve that, that you're talking about. Other people may just be like, I just want to get off at some point. I don't, I don't really care, you know? Right. Is, uh, is, so is ZKP2P a company or how are you thinking about the organization? Yeah. Uh, so we do, you know, we do have a, an entity um, that, you know, I guess is, is ZKP2P. Um, right now, though, we're all uh, grant funded. So and that's kind of a status that we want to maintain for certainly as, as long as we can. Um, ideally, we would love to never take any kind of like investment. But yeah, uh, we've kind of slowly morphed into uh, into becoming kind of like a company. We've all started uh, kind of started moving onto this full time and basically just trying to find ways to to bootstrap as as we go. Uh, like I said, like PSE has been an awesome partner for us, not only like financially but also being able to provide audits. Um, that sort of thing. And we're, and we're excited to be able to showcase some of the work that, that they've been doing too, right? Like ZK email is a, is a, uh, PSC project. And so we get a, you know, those guys get to see kind of their code in production being used, um, by people that on ramp and another one's like TLS notary, as we were talking about kind of these TLS connections, TLS notary is, is a kind of a scheme to be able to, to, um, validate, you know, kind of, uh, TLS connections. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've been very fortunate really to work with them. And then, you know, there's a number of other kind of, uh, projects we've talked to around like grants and things like that too. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how we're, 
we're approaching it. You know, we, we have an entity, we have a, you know, we have a company. It's all like, it's all four of us have worked together for a long time. So we're just kind of in a lot of ways, it still has a bit of that, uh, kind of just hacking on things feel, but we do, you know, we're, we have certain goals and, and theses that we're trying to test. And, um, yeah, we're definitely kind of moving forward as like, as a, as a full blown company. Awesome. And I know that it's, it's live right now. Do you foresee it being integrated into some of these new passkey smart account wallets that are coming out or any other things that are sort of shaking up how onboarding to crypto in the first place happens? Are, are they potential customers or integrators? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, we've definitely talked with a number of wallets, chains, things like that. Um, you know, ultimately like what is really nice about how we do things is it's a lot of these wallets or even just dApps themselves, they can now have a embedded on-ramp into their, into their app, right. Versus saying like, Hey, go to Coinbase and like transfer some money in. And then like, hopefully the user comes back. Right. In theory, like we can reduce any, any drop off that occurs there just by embedding us directly in the app. And it's like, okay, a couple clicks, you get the money directly in, in your account. Um, I will also say like our kind of 4337 implementation that will be launching in like a seven to seven to 10 days. While we don't intend to be like a wallet, um, it does, it, it will operate similarly to how if, you know, a, an account abstraction wallet uh, wanted to integrate us. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we we we've talked with a lot of those teams. We're really excited about the opportunities there because we do think that that's like that being able to embed an on ramp into an app uh, is is really powerful, especially for wallets. Yeah, it's definitely it's one of the biggest problems for uh, increasing adoption is just how onerous it is for regular folks to. I mean, if a Web two app had to ask you for your driver's license before you could get an account, they'd be a yeah. lot less popular. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just um, these these are those small UX things that are just going to get better and better over time with crypto. It's like, oh, you know, I don't have to do five steps to fund a wallet. I just have to do, I can do one, and I can do it directly in you know this DAP I'm on. I don't need to like go through five different tabs <laughs> to to figure it out. Like these are the things that will ultimately make um, that will ultimately be able to onboard, you know more and more people it's like as we get closer and closer to the flows that these people are, are, are used to um it'll become it reduces the the, the friction to even own like a crypto wallet right it's like even just being able to sponsor gas and things like that like these are these are massive improvements in ux uh, and we're yeah i mean we're hopefully excited to to be a portion of that for sure very cool aside from the fees that the depositors um apply to their deposits are there any other fees associated with using zkp2p uh not at the moment we do have the ability to add like a a little like fee for you know any volume that that goes through we don't have that that turned on at the moment uh mainly like we you know it's still early we don't even know the best way to to monetize even uh, you know best way from like obviously a revenue standpoint but also from uh, a legal standpoint, a regulatory standpoint, like where can we actually like try to accrue value to ourselves in a, in a compliant way? Um, so it's, it's there. Um, don't have any plans to turn it on anytime soon, 
But yeah, so we, there, there's that small little fee. And is there any MEV concerns or does it relate to MEV in any way under the current construction? Um, not, not, no, not, not really. I guess the only MEV potential concerns would be somebody like front running a, like a signal intent, right? Like let's say there's only a little bit of liquidity left. You know, somebody could, if you could see your transaction trying to take that last liquidity and like, and, and front run it uh, and get that liquidity themselves. But as far as like any exploits on the um, kind of like on ramping side, no, because it's it's all very it's tied, right? It's, it's very very tied to the the two counterparties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like generalized. Anybody can step in. Um, looking forward, uh, what else do you? I guess is the focus expanding to new countries, new banks, uh, or fiat providers? Uh, beyond that, do you have any plans? Uh, like what things you could do with these techniques that are not just about on ramping, or really majorly focused on on ramping for now? I guess. Um, I would say our guiding light in terms of like, to the extent that we have like a a full blown guiding light at the moment, I think this is some of the things that we're trying to figure out. Like this year is definitely going to be a year of experimentation for us. Like we have all, you know, these theses on, you know, who the market is, uh, what they want, what different, different individual markets want that we all, we kind of want to test out a little bit. Right. Um, but as far as kind of like a, a North star of, of sorts would be essentially Binance P2P. Like how can we just create a better Binance P2P? You know, that's, it's early. Like these, these things are all, if we find some like awesome market that is slightly different in some way, then, you know, we may kind of make a, a hard left turn. Um, but that's kind of our guiding light moment. So to, to the extent of like, okay, what, what do we need to do to kind of get some more feature parity there? I think there's certainly one of the big things is being able to swap into kind of like any asset. So 4337 actually would allow us to do that because we can just bundle a bunch of transactions together. So we could bundle like your on-ramping transaction with like a swap in the ETH or bundle your on-ramping transaction within a bridge transaction. So now you have USDC on Solana, Arbitrum, Ethereum, kind of like wherever you, wherever you want. So we, we're starting to get close to to that functionality. And then it's like, okay, we obviously want to add more payment providers. And part of that is to be able to test things around, okay, well, how, how strong of a thesis is just people's peer demand for US dollars versus people just want to get money on chain and like invest and, and do that sort of thing, right? And then there's all these other theses around, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, how do I send money from Turkey Argentina to, to India, yeah. India or Argentina. Like, yeah, how do, how do we do, how, do, how are we able to potentially do that sort of thing? Uh, Cause I mean, there's some massive remittance markets out there, right? Um, is there a way to potentially put ourselves, uh, you know, insert ourselves into that market, right? So it's, you know, it's at a, at a very high level, it's going to be a lot of integrating new, new payment processors or, or payment networks, integrating, trying to explore like different ZK primitives to allow us access to more of these payment processes. This is kind of like the TLS type type of work. Um, And then how do we like working on integrations uh, with, you know, wallets and things like, like how do we make that experience like really nice for people? Um, And then there's all these, those are more on the technical side. And there's certainly some like operational stuff around like, how do we, you know, improve liquidity, 
all those sorts of things um, that you know we'll, we'll, be, we'll be investing some time in as well. But yeah. That's exciting. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show and telling us all about ZKP2P. It's a super exciting project and very cool application of this uh, next-gen tech for a problem that tons of people have today. So it's very exciting. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for having me. This was this was, this was great. Great to chat with you. Um, and yeah, as always, like if, feel free to reach out in our... We have a Telegram channel. It's actually fairly active. So feel free to reach out if you have any issues uh hopefully not but if you do we're, we're always in there or if you have any just any questions um yeah if you're you know a u.s citizen or just have have venmo or you uh have an hdfc account um it really would be would be awesome for you to, to try it out and, and, and uh let us know what you think um and yeah we, we have more coming we'll have uh have some integrations on the horizon with, with turkey and uh, argentina so we're, we're excited Great. for those as well. Those are, those are some uh, very crypto hungry countries. So Yeah, I'm sure it's, it makes me think I'm sure it's not a super high demand place given the, the regulatory environment is convenient enough for crypto, but uh, Canadian Interact transactions generate emails made me think, mm. I wonder if it would work out easily, but probably not such a, an urgent yeah. market to address. I mean, there's all these, you know, beyond the emails, there's just so much signed data around us. Like, uh yeah, I think like the the opportunities are, are really pretty uh, pretty big in, in the ZK space. So that, that would be my other my last thing I would say to people is like if you're interested at all in this, like it's early. Like this is let's see, I started writing Solidity in like 2017, 2018. Uh, I would say the tooling is maybe even worse than it was then at the moment. <laughs> but um, there, it's getting improved and there's a lot of people investing time and energy and, you know, whether it's from, you know, kind of the industry side or also a lot of like academic uh, effort going into, into zero knowledge proofs as well. Cause there, there, there are a lot of benefits outside of just um, sorry, a, fire truck <laughs> a lot of benefits outside of just web three. Uh, there's a lot of potential for this in the web two space as well. So I uh, would very much encourage people to jump in, try to learn, build some cool things. Like you're, you're ahead of the curve, I think, if, if you're getting into ZK now. Yeah, definitely. And it's exciting to hear there's all these grants available too for projects so they can uh, experiment without uh, getting on the VC treadmill, at least right away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've been very blessed that, that uh, you know, we've been able to, to leverage, leverage those grants. But yeah, like can't speak highly enough of the uh, privacy scaling uh explorations group within within ethereum foundation they've been um yeah they've been great to work with and we've definitely a lot of other folks we've talked to that have been that have been great to work with too that's great so if people want to learn more zkp2p.xyz uh lots of links in the show notes uh brian thanks again for coming through and thanks everybody for listening thanks so much Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.